When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hey, Joshua. <laughs> How are you? Um, I don't understand the question, and I refuse to respond to it. Oh. No. <laughs> so I want to... Um, I want to kind of start there with a little, uh, just let's have a moment for Jessica Walter. That is a Lucille Bluth. Oh my gosh, I've already messed this up. Bluth. Lucille Bluth. Uh, Quote, that's one of my favorites. Jeffrey and I use it all the time. I don't understand the question and I won't respond to it. Um, (laughs) That's a veiled criticism of me. Uh, (laughs) But yes, Jessica Walter died this week. Very sad. Um, You know, I... Love her, obviously, in Arrested Development, and she's, you know, a vo- was a voice on Archer. Uh, she also did, uh, I think we talked about this when we did our Child's Play um, episode, you know, but she had done the voice for Chucky. I don't, I, I'm still confused exactly about what the, the deal was. I don't know if she did the voice and was meant to be the voice, or that she did the voice in, like, the rough, you know, the rough early cut of the film, and then they decided to use Brad, uh, or if the intention was her, you know, for her to be uh, the voice, uh, which would have been very interesting. And I do think we should get the cut of the film that has that, uh, track. I'd like to, I'd like to hear that. Um, especially now, you know, uh, but more importantly, she was in a movie, uh, play Misty for me, which I think we should actually do on the show sometime. Have you ever heard of that movie or seen it? Um, I've, I've heard of it. It's a horror, right? I mean, you want to do it on the show, so obviously, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like a psychological thriller. It's okay. uh, uh, directed and starring Clint Eastwood. Um, and then Jessica Walter, she's the other star of the movie. It's sort of a precursor to Fatal Attraction and even like um, Single White Female. You know, so Jessica plays uh, a woman who's obsessed with this. Uh, I think he's a disc jockey. And, um, you know, so she like stalks him and all of that kind of, you know, and all the, you know, the the things you can imagine happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was a very, you know, I think famous film role of hers is like, you know, in horror again, you know, as we've discussed, like, you know, people seem to find their or those early you know career roles in in horror films um although i don't i can't really say i don't know the whole of her filmography but those of us in the horror community you know who don't already know who she was if you know you watched arrest development or archer um we you know we do know her from from play misty for me and so we should do it sometime i think it'd be an interesting mm-hmm. uh film to talk about and then you know kind of juxtapose with fatal attraction and uh you know Maybe that'll be a good Valentine's 
movie. We'll kind of put a pin in that for next Valentine's okay. Day. <laughs> It'll be our, uh, our bloody Valentine part two. Yeah, but that was very sad news this week. I was very uh, bummed by that. I didn't, I had no idea she was 80. She did not, you know, uh, it's just, you know, maybe COVID, you just, nobody's working. So, you know, I haven't seen her in a while since she did the last uh, season of Arrested Development. So maybe I was just kind of disconnected from uh, from that. But it was just kind of a surprise, you know? Yeah. I don't know if you're like me where it's like you kind of get up in the morning or, you know, you, you, we don't really think about, like, what the day might bring news-wise. So it was like that was just one of those things that I was just kind of shocked. Like, really just like, wait, what? <laughs> Who died? <laughs> you know, just, just wasn't next on my list of celebrities to think that would, that would pass away. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was... Um, Anyways, so I just wanted to kind of start the episode with that, you know, rest in rest in peace. Thank you for the laughs. Thank you. Uh, you know, Jessica and, uh, you know, all of that. So just wanted to, I wanted to start there today with that, Joe. Well, thank you. Nice thank you for the, what a, what a fitting tribute, tribute. for, for a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I said for a woman, like she, you know, <laughs> what a fitting tribute yeah. for a woman. I, I I don't know. Maybe I'll cut that out. <laughs> that sounded awful. Um, no, I, it's so funny because like I I love her a lot in Arrested Development, and um, Arrested Development is also a show that uh, uh, Jimmy Kins watches or are oh, watched. Okay. So uh, I sent him that. I sent him the 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 article that showed that she yeah. had passed so it was you know sad faces all around yeah yeah i had not jeffrey introduced me to arrested development so yeah it was kind of the same thing of like oh you know sorry mm-hmm. this is kind of bad news uh, i think but- my, my favorite lucille bluth quote is um it's a frozen banana what could it cost was it it's like it's a frozen banana michael what could it cost ten dollars <laughs> <laughs> No, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, somebody made a meme where it was like, it's one dead celebrity, Michael. What could it cost? A national treasure, you know, as a, as a, oh. as a, as a tribute to her, you know. Did you see the tribute that the um, the guy who plays Anyong uh, did? He no. like He posted, I might have to send it to you. It, he, he posted um, a picture of like Anyong sitting at a table, like with Lucille there. And he was this very lovely, you know, caption about how she was like his first scene partner in life. And, and it was just so, you know, that how, you know, how much of a mentor she was to him. So, oh, how cool. Yeah. I have to look that up. I saw Tony Hale's mm-hmm. uh, post. Um, you know, uh, but I hadn't I hadn't seen anyone else's yet. I also didn't really go looking for them, so I'm sure you know I, I can yeah. just look online and find it easily enough. Uh, I did see uh, Liza Minnelli outlives the Twitter. There's a Twitter account uh, that's <laughs> Liza Minnelli outlives, and then it's whatever, and you know, so it's all of her different like co-stars or uh, sometimes it's like. Um, concepts or whatever it was like the last one was like um Liza Minnelli outlived J-Lo and Alex Rodriguez's engagement or something <laughs> uh but they had a funny post about you know Jessica about you know it was like Lucille two says goodbye to Lucille one you know sort of thing uh, it was really it's a comical Twitter oh my gosh I can't well I I was gonna say I can't wait but I you know that's not the right words um it'll be interesting to see what happens when 
um, when um, Ms. Minnelli does pass on because <laughs> when she um, exits stage left, when she exits, <laughs> um, geez, I'm uh, sorry that this is getting really, this is getting really off the rails already. Um, uh, it's okay. Speaking off the rails, uh, can I yeah. bring up something? Cause I want to hear your thoughts so badly. Oh, well, let's drag see. race from this past week. Yeah. Oh man, what a nightmare. What a freaking nightmare. Um so spoiler alert, if you're new here, that's what we do. Um <laughs> But yeah, I I was, you know, I wanted to have that like uh what's her face, the America's top model. Um gosh, my brain. Uh, oh, um uh, Russia and Tyra Banks. Yeah, Tyra Banks. I wanted to have that, like, we were all rooting for you. We were. Because I really, I had her top, like, you know, I I really thought she was going to, I didn't think she was going to win. I still think that's going to be Got Mick or Simone. Um, But I really kind of had her top four, top three, just because fashion-wise, I mean, it's incredible that this, like, guy from, like, a town of, like, 300 people or something is this, like, Vogue-level art fashion art director like editorial fashion ista i mean it's incredible the the looks Mm -hmm. that you know and even the last look that you know she put together on the runway it was just like oh my gosh it's like something that like you know grace coddington would have put together you know for vogue and you know or any of those sorts of like magazines uh so i just yeah i was just really really disappointed and oh insanely disappointed especially like especially because it's like they told her, you know what I mean? Like they told her, they told her like, Hey, that's too mean. And, and the thing again, like it's reality TV, you know, trust the edit as far as you, as much as you want, because, you know, at the end of the day, it could have been much worse. It could have been. But people said those things. Yeah. I mean, it, that pe- came out of her mouth. Yeah, people said those things, but like, you know, just how it was, I, I'm always just concerned about the edit too, but like the, yeah, she, she really did herself no favors and yeah. just kept going there. And I was like, wow, like, how is that? How is that funny? Right. Cause, and I think that, I think the judges, the critique, I think was pretty spot on, you know, they were just like, you can be, you, nothing's off the table, but you, you have to be funny. So, right. You know, that's what a roast is. It's like, if it's not funny, if it's just gonna, if it's going to cut too deeply, you know, and there's not going to be any payoff. So. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing, you know, and like, I would not want to be invited to, to do a roast. You know, I do, I think it's, I think it's difficult, um, you know, to kind of walk that line of like mean and funny mm-hmm. and, you know, like you also have to have a certain amount of self-awareness, you know, for yourself so that if people are going to like make fun of you, uh, you kind of have to know, what they're going to go for, you know, and then vice versa. You have to trust that, like, if I was going to roast, like, I have friends in mind that, you know, it's like, oh, man, if they asked me, to, I wouldn't want to roast them because I don't think, I think they're too sensitive, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you really wanted to kind of point something out, it might be a little like, oh, oh, wow, okay, that's where you went, you know, but, um, you know, so I just think, I think it's dangerous territory, yeah. you know. Um, obviously, I wouldn't ever, like, point out, anybody stuff because you know that's just that's awful and not you know that's not funny it's low-hanging fruit like yeah 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 i always think of like i try to like you know like the dorian Corey, like you know if we go back to paris is burning it's like you know we don't it's not facts we're not stating facts (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, it's like, I don't have to tell you, you know, you know, like if I'm going to say something terrible about you, I'm going to make sure it's something, you know, yeah, you know, it, 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 you know, but it's again, it's I can't just call it's a you very, very a black problem. queen and you know, yeah. <laughs> Well, I can't. Right. <laughs> can't. We both can call each other black queens. That's just a fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to tell you ugly. You know you're ugly. <laughs> exactly. See, I think that just goes like, so I'm like you, Joshua, where it's like, if someone asked me to roast them, they would really, that might be the end of our friendship because I think, I think you and I could like very easily overstep and cut the d- <laughs> And like, and just pick the one thing that like is the insecurity, but that also comes with like being that comes with like the armor of being like a queer person, right? It's like if you're like yeah. being harassed on the street or you know someone's making fun of you, like you just know exactly what you need to say in you know evaluate and strike in that way, so that way you know you can also you know keep yourself safe. Um, but it's, it's interesting when you have like friends and stuff. Cause you know, like we, you know, when you and I are together and I think it's funny cause like when James would first come over and then like, we would just like exchange barbs, <laughs> he looked and it was like, wow. And I was like, yeah, but it's, you know, it's all in good fun. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's like the, the culture of that, of reading and of shade and all of that, mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, that comes with, like, queer territory. Um, and, and beyond, obviously, now, but, you know, I think it's kind of, it has its, you know, its roots, its history there. Um, but, yeah, it's just... I think it's very, very dangerous um, to, to to do that, to do like a reading challenge. And we've seen that with the Queen. Some of them are really good at it and funny, you know, and then some are, it's just like, you know, haha, you're fat, your teeth are messed up. It's like, okay, fine. Yeah, it becomes, um, it becomes less about being humorous and more about like, this is, these are my value judgments against you. It's like right, the, right. the worst thing I can say. And that's the, and that's what really bothers me. You know, it's just like, if the worst thing that you can say about someone is that they're fat, then like, you just pick the most superficial thing. Like, you know, what is it? Uh, beauty fades dumb as forever. So, <laughs> right. So yeah, you can pick yeah, those so. things and all that stuff. And so like the Ross stuff was just not, you know, was not great. The Ross stuff was not great. Um, just the fact that like they, you know, podcasts, a visual medium, I'm gesturing with my hands, but like when Utica was like, you know, making the big, like she's big kind of thing. Yeah. I was like, Oh my, I, I, it was very, it was very difficult to watch. I, I was uncomfortable. Yeah. So uncomfortable. I found myself kind of like looking into my phone. I don't, I get vicarious embarrassment really easily for people. Yes. Yes. And I feel like I'm experiencing it, you know? And so like watching any of them bomb always just makes me super, super uncomfortable. That's why I don't watch any, like, I don't like to watch like, you know, American. I remember for a long time, I don't know if it's still like this, but for a long time, it was the fun of watching American Idol for its fans was like watching people be awful. And watching them be embarrassed on like national television or watching like these, you know, Hollywood types just be mean. And I'm like, this is not, that's not fun. So I never got into that, into American Idol at all anyways, because I don't like, I, I, I have complicated relationships with like singing competitions. Um you know, just, it's just hard. You know, there's lots of people Mm -hmm. whose voices I love that other people hate, you know, and vice versa. So it's like, it's just, it's so subjective. And I, and and drag is the same way, but like drag race is hard sometimes because, you know, you're like, wow, yeah, you're, you're 
popular and successful in your town and people love you, but maybe not everybody's going to love that on, you know, and just putting that, you know, you're putting yourself out there on a national stage where people might not always get, you know, exactly what you're doing. Um, or it feels unfair sometimes. And we've talked extensively in the past on this show about, you know, the, the problems of drag race. Um, but yeah, that was just, that was a really, really hard one for like that. My feelings of like embarrassment for her, especially because I really wanted her to do well. And it's that thing of when you really love someone and then they're awful and you're like, oh, <laughs> like now I have to yeah. like apologize for liking you because that's really, if that's where you're going, you know? Yeah. And then I also hate like, the feelings I have of elitism of like, well, she's from a town of 300 people. Like Lord knows. <laughs> well, there's, there's a lacking of, her. it's a lack of self-awareness in, in one sense. It's a lack of, it's, it represents a lack of self-awareness, a lack of maturity be, in terms of like listening to judges critiques, but also like it, it also is very revealing of just kind of like a fake wokeness. Right. Cause like, you know, right. it was not too long ago that she had that challenge where she's like, I'm not going to wear an Afro because of cultural appropriation yet let me stand up here and like you know proceed to vigorously body shame <laughs> um two judges like <laughs> right and I, yeah so yeah yeah no absolutely and i again like you know i mean just because she comes from a small town that doesn't mean that she's actually backwards i'm uh, i'm sorry i'm just kind of like speaking really off the cuff as always uh, that you but know, you just, but you know like, i mean where's you, the, like where is she coming from like what you know where's that yeah. development and yes that sort of lazy wokeness as well is 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 a problem especially when that was his hair like that's the thing like that's what he looked like so it's not like <laughs> you know it was just kind of a strange that whole conversation was really really strange um yeah. but Whatever. <laughs> I was about to say, don't you come from a small town? But you know, you're you come from a major city. <laughs> well, I mean, I grew up in a lot of small towns, so but you know, that's and there were a lot of awful people in them uh, with a lot of backwards ideas. But that's a whole yeah. other thing. You can find them anywhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> my favorite, probably my the thing is, is when people are good at it, though. Like, so we can say, "Sorry, Utica, if you never do anything ever again in your life." Well, hey, you got this moment. Um, so if it, if your career's over, well. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Go join uh, Elliot. But, <laughs> uh, I know. But um, the people that were successful, though, like probably one of my favorite reads of the night was Rosé, where she's like, you know, RuPaul, you and I have a lot in common. Like, you know, we both like want to make music or music production. She's like, but, you know, one of us is a recording artist and one of us is a singer. <laughs> I was like, that was... <laughs> I was like, when people can get in kind of like, cause like RuPaul's well aware she's not fucking Pavarotti, you know what I mean? Like yeah. she's not, you know, like some, you, you, but it's like, it was funny because it's like, hey, girl, I'm still selling records though. You know, like, so there's like, when you can kind of poke fun at like, you know, that balance of like success and also, you know, just those little barbs. So there was a couple of really good, you know, I was like, that was actually a pretty funny read, but that one made me laugh out loud. Like that was you know, really, really funny. Uh, <laughs> I always like when people kind of go after her for that. Oh, yes. <laughs> Apparently there's a whole... I didn't really understand the, like, why RuPaul's not going to stand. I thought it was like, I'm not going to stand if you tell me to. Um, like, like oh, no, it's because of the pajamas. So I didn't know that. I, uh, I didn't know that. So apparently RuPaul wears pajamas? Yeah, I think they all like under the table that's been for years, they're in comfy clothes because they got to be there for hours. Like, you know what I mean? Like kind of, you know, coming back and forth for like in the between. So imagine like being in like heels and a whole big thing. So yeah, I think that she, 
uh, they get comfortable. Like it's a, um, I'm not, I, I don't know if it's all of them. I've, I've heard that Michelle is kind of the same way and maybe some of the other guests have been. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's kind of a, well, it's like a, the, you know, a, a, a not greatly kept secret. <laughs> yeah. Like a big open secret, right? Yes. An open secret that yeah, that, which is why she did that. Cause like she, they called her out for that. But yeah, I've heard that for years that they are not under the, under the judge's table. They're very comfortable. <laughs> Which, I mean, again, if you have to be there for hours under all yeah. those stage lights and stuff, I would be comfy too, you know, because it's bad enough. To, I mean, I think it's probably really hot to be, oh, yeah, have all the wig on and all the makeup and, you know, all of the corseting and all, you know, whatever mm-hmm. RuPaul is wearing to keep everything together and everybody else, along with being under hot stage lights, you know, um, or whatever, you know, filming lights. Ugh, you know, it's got to be, yeah, got to be a melting, tiring. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> I, I was like, today's going to be, as always, whenever I plan that we're going to have like a quick um, chat, it always turns into, you know, oh, 20 minutes of drag race. Uh, but yeah, so there we go. Yep. Utica sashayed away. And I can't say that I disagree. You know, I, I really wanted her yep. to stay and wanted her to do well because I enjoy her fashion and her, you know, eye. But um, yeah, it was time to go. So We'll see, you know, only a few left now. Finally, it feels like the season's winding down. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know what? It's like March 29th and and it started January 1st. The first episode was new year's day. (laughs) We are still moving into like the fourth month. Yeah. It's time. It's time for us to, it's time for some, uh, or the third month for the third, whatever. It's time for, uh, people to leave and for us to crown whoever, uh, they will be. Yeah, who's your who's your front runner that you want to win right now? I mean, I think it's pretty clear that it's. I think it's pretty clear it's going to be one of three people. It's going to be. I, I mean, as I said last week, it could wow, be anybody. Joe, good job! Like, going to be one <laughs> of ten people. Um, <laughs> one of these sixteen is going to win. Um, <laughs> wow! Um, florals for spring, groundbreaking. I do want it to be. Uh, <laughs> I do agree with you. I want it to be either Gottmik or Simone. Um, yeah. Rose is creeping up there at like I know, yeah, a, a, like yeah. against my better judgment, against my will, she's crept up into my top three. Yeah, I feel like she deserves a spot in All Stars, but I don't think she should win. I think I think truly if we're looking at like the future of drag, I think that's got Mick and mm-hmm. like and 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 Simone to a degree the the amount of conversation she brings to her work is is very is artistic and yeah. um and boundary you know pushing I think uh, Simone is make. doing it's the commentary that Simone brings is what like the vixen wanted to do you yeah. know cuz like the conversations that started with the vixen about you know just being coming from that place of like having to fight and you know and and being like what it means to be a black queen from the South side of Chicago. And, and then to see Simone do like basically bring that message, but bring it in such a way that like, you can't, you can't take your eyes off of her, but you're also very, you're not quick to, you know, you're, you're not quick to kind of like dismiss her in the same way that I felt like people did with the Vixen. 
um, which is unfair. And that's the thing that was unfair. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's horrible. It's very unfair. And I think that that's sort of the thing is like, we had this massive kind of reckoning with like the racism of drag race, at least bringing it really to the forefront, having a lot of queens talk about it. And I mean, it's been there. People have talked about it, you know, throughout the, you know, Mm -hmm. season, seasons, uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, within the culture of, of drag and, you know, in the larger, you know, context of white supremacy. Uh, but, you know, again, it's all about respectability politics, unfortunately. So people, I think, really got into the vixen because, you know, oh, you're just angry and yeah. jealous. And, and, and it's not right. I mean, again, people have, you know, the right to be angry. People should be angry. More people should be angry. Uh, you know, that's not a good argument against, you know, uh, discourse. Mm-hmm. Is that, oh, you sound very angry. It's like, well, yeah, you should be too. And the fact that you're not is, is shameful. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, I think it's just the evolution of, um, of that conversation. So, you know, Simone is just doing it in, you know, in a way that unfortunately white people are gonna be like, see, that's how you do it. You know, nice. And, you know, you wear a dress and that's totally wrong, obviously. Uh, yeah. Because they had some great points. And, um, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. Ugh, yeah. So we'll see how that, that conversation continues to, to develop. But yeah, I think you're right. I think God maker Simone, that those are my top two picks right now, unless something really out of left field happens. Um, you know, this was a good cast though, overall. I mean, there's a lot of strong people in it. So, yeah. I mean, like I said last week, it could have been, it could literally be anybody and it would make yeah. sense. But I think after I think after this challenge, it definitely separated people, and yeah. you and you start to see just like you know I think Michelle kind of alluded to this: who's giving more of the same and who's really reaching? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Comedy challenges are always that thing, you know. Snatch game, snatch game usually separates out where you're like, okay, yeah, we can kind of clearly see who like the five, the top five are going to be, and then this kind of roast comedy challenge, seeing what what the queens can bring in a in a witty kind of way so Mm all righty well we will uh continue that conversation with uh, the next episode i'm sure Uh, (laughs) but uh for now we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back uh to to wrap up our stephen king uh month (laughs) i just want to apologize i'm sorry to everyone I was very naive and very stupid and I shouldn't have put other people in danger. I am so sorry for everything that has happened because in spite of what Joshua says, it's now all my fault. I insisted our listeners subscribe to Fright School on Apple Podcasts. I insisted they leave us reviews. I insisted that they give us a five-star rating. And it's all because of me that we're here now and we're being hunted. I love you, Mom and Dad. I am so sorry. I only wanted to make good content for our listeners. scared I'm going to die out here Joshua 
Instead, you. Well, welcome back to, well, I don't want to say the final episode of Two Queens Talking King, because, you know, I'm sure Stephen King's work will come up again. We haven't gone through everything. There's still stuff worth chatting about. Uh, but at least in this series, in our in our March 2021, or whatever year it is, um, <laughs> Stephen King conversation, we're going to be wrapping it up today. Uh, so we're going to talk, uh, I guess... Yes, officially Creep Show is the film that we're going to talk about, but overall we're going to just kind of wrap up, you know, on all of our thoughts about Stephen King and this time uh that we that we have spent between us uh, doing, you know, our series and also the time we spent with the Jersey Ghouls cuz, you know, obviously we talked about 32 different films there, a lot of them you had seen for the first time, Joe, so, you know. But first we'll we'll, we'll start with the chat about Creep Show, which is 1982. Uh, this is fun because it's like horror comedy anthology. So as we've looked at in this series, you know, Stephen King does werewolves. Stephen King does technophobia. Stephen King does, uh, what were the other movies we talked about? Um, is, is there an, any, uh, basically, is there anything she can't do? <laughs> right. Um, you know, a movie with scary children in it, a movie with scary cars in it. You know, so we've... Uh, Not a movie so- with a black person. What's that? No movies with black people. Well, right. And again, that's a whole uh, conversation in the work of Stephen King, which I'm sure we will, we will definitely touch on here in a little bit. Uh, but Creepshow, I thought this was kind of fun because, as you've said before, Joe, you know, one of your favorite, some of the favorite movies that we've watched over the last few years on Fright School have been the anthology films. Um, we've done several of those, ca- talked about several of them on the show. Uh, I remember our... Um, women in horror series we did we started with like the xx and 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 that anthology and so it's kind of fun to do like you know look at stephen king through an anthology lens um but it's cool because this film is directed by george romero uh written by stephen king this is actually his screenwriting debut uh and also his the first time that he cameos in a film based on his work uh which obviously oh, we okay. know is a thing that he does. And we'll also talk a little bit about that. I have a list of, of movies. Um, let's see. What was I going to say? Uh, primarily shot in Pittsburgh, which I didn't know. I actually found some stuff out on this, this latest watch. I've, I've watched creep show probably once a year since the nineties. I love this movie. I, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I tend to watch it around father's day because <laughs> of the first segment. <laughs> um, this is my father's day movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I learned some stuff, so we'll kind of talk about it as we go through. So it's, uh, five, five segments with, you know, some wraparound features. A couple of the, the pieces are actually based on work that Stephen King did before the film. Uh, okay. and then several of them are written new for the, uh, for, for this movie. So... Let's go ahead. Uh, well, first, you know, kind of a rundown. We got Hal Hallbrook, Adrian Barbeau, Leslie Nielsen, Ted Danson. I mean, like all kinds of like the who's who of the 80s is all in here. <laughs> the who's that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So and like I said, George Romero. Awesome. Great to see him uh, directing this. kind. Of, and this is such an homage uh, to 
the EC Comics, Tales from the Crib, Vault of Horror, you know, that whole time of the 50s, kind of, you know, again, which Stephen King is well known for, you know, um, eulogizing the 50s. (laughs) So this film kind of encapsulates all of that. Uh, So let's start with uh, your thoughts, Joe, when you when you first saw it. Um, It was fun. It was I was watching it. I'm like, okay, I totally get the. I don't think I would have understood the Tales from the Crypt reference um, if I hadn't seen Demon Knight first. Or how, like, you know, Tales from the Crypt is, like, in how they inform each other, or one informs the other. Um, yeah. So that was interesting, and then <laughs> I did have a thought. I was like, yeah, we're like, you know, it, it shows the relationship between, like, comics and film. Um Especially, I was thinking about that a lot recently because of, you know, I just wrapped up my, um, like, my epic rewatch of, like, all the Marvel movies. And it's just, it was such a, it's such a fun way to tell a story. And to tell different stories and to get different things in there. And everything is so, like, all the the different um, stories in Creepshow are, like, kind of wildly different from one another. Like, there isn't a through line um, as clearly defined as like the XX or kind of how they're all interrelated, like in trick or treat, um, which is something else that I appreciated. And it did make me want to go um, and, you know, dust off my shutter login and uh, uh, cause they have a show, right? There's like a creep show yep. TV show. So I, it yep. makes me want to go back and uh, go and watch that. Oh, awesome. Yeah, you should. There are some good episodes in there, uh, you know, with, um, with different directors and kind of people bringing their, uh, actually Greg Nicotero is involved in this. Like the, his, this was like one of his, the, what I was reading is that he was like brought on as like a student to like tour the set, you know? So him kind of all these years later being like, you know, working as a visual effects artist and then going on to like work in, you know, films and then to revive creep show is actually kind of a nice poetic yeah. circle. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I, I agree with the, yeah, there's not, you know, there's obviously it's like the, the thing is that they're, they, it's all in the comic book, you know? So the yeah. film is sort of the comic coming to life and they're reading it throughout the film. You know, so that's sort of the through line. But uh, one thing I read that I'd never noticed before was that uh, there's an ashtray that's in all the segments. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, that's cool. I never noticed that before. So then I found myself kind of like looking for it. It just kind of shows up weird. It's like on the desk in Jordy Verrill. And um, I think it's what, um, uh, Bedelia hits her father with uh, mm-hmm. to kill him. So it's like that ashtray shows up in all the sequences. Um, so, so that was something I learned new that I had never noticed before in all the years of watching this movie. Uh, like I said, I probably saw this man. I was probably six or seven, eight, very early. Uh, wow. I remember being this, this definitely used to get shown all the time on, on the Saturday movie matinee, especially around Halloween. Uh, so I've, yeah, I've been watching it since I was a kid and yeah, I usually give it a rewatch every year. There is a comic adaptation of it, which I cannot find. I swore I had a copy of it and I cannot find it anywhere. So I, I don't know if I let somebody borrow it or oh, what. If they're listening, they better give it back. <laughs> yeah, I was a little distressed. I was like going through all my comics. I'm like, I know I have a copy of it because they did a re, they released it back in the eighties and then it was kind of out of print for a long time and then they reprinted it and I picked up a copy of it. Uh, to have as you know part of the the library collection uh <laughs> but i seem to have lost it along the way somewhere i don't know but yeah boo what were your uh favorite 
segments. Um, oh my gosh, Ted Danson and Lee and Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> um, the name escapes me. So something to tide you over. Yeah, something to tide tide you over. Um, I love that because of just like I was on the I was on the edge of my seat the entire time of what the heck is going on. Yeah. Um, it was Leslie Nielsen as I had never seen him before because you know he plays. I was expecting it to be a little more like a little more camp, a little more, um, uh, like sarcastic, you know, in the same way that he is famous for with his like naked gun films and with airplane and all that. Like I was expecting more of that and to kind of see him be this like very, you know, truly sinister character was kind of really gave me life. Like I, so, you know, seeing all of that and then also, Ted Danson and stuff and just seeing like it kind of was that thing that I've noticed with Stephen King films where you know it there is definitely a turn like um you know it this is the story leading up to this point and then after this point it changes into something completely different or it, we start to go down a different path so like once um once he's in the ground and he goes and you know Leslie Nielsen goes back to the to the the mansion and then he's like then you see that like now it's a ghost story so like before it was like just revenge and now it's a ghost story and kind of the same way that like Rose Red had like halfway through Rose Red it kind of pivots a little bit to be Mm -hmm. to be something different so that was something you know again having watched all of these Stephen King films for our dear friends and (laughs) and, uh, for you know for their fun uh, March Madness it's to, to kind of notice that. Um, but yeah, that one, that one was probably my favorite. Um, I didn't one, the one I didn't care for was, uh, the one with Stephen King in it. <laughs> oh, the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill. Yeah. yeah. I was like, that, you know, it's, mm, yeah, I get it. <laughs> it was very, it reminded me a lot of, um, uh, little shop of horrors because, you know, right. evil plant from out of space. Uh, but yeah, it was just not, it wasn't my favorite. Yeah, I it, and that's based on a short story by Stephen King called Weeds. Uh, that I'm not sure was that ever printed in. Um, I know it was published like in magazines, but did it ever? I don't think it ever made its way to a um, to an actual book. Uh, neither did the crate. That's also based on a short story. Uh, but um, I that one always freaked me out as a kid, though, because um, I here's one of the, like, this is my like root of really not like going outside. Uh, <laughs> I just have to look at like poison Ivy to have it. And I have a mm. really bad reaction to it. Oh, it like, no. covers me like immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a lot of horrible memories of summers of at least, you know, a week being covered in like calamine lotion because I went outside and, you know, happened to, uh, you know, look in the direction of a poison Ivy plant. <laughs> so that one as a kid always kind of freaked me out because like I like the, the itching and like that kind of like you feel like you're kind of being overwhelmed by this you know this rash in it so I always kind of identified that with like poison ivy and it also just kind of freaks me out like thinking about something growing on you so that one I it's the most uncomfortable to watch mm-hmm. uh, it's also I feel bad for Stephen King because I was reading in you know some of the making of this that you know George Romero kind of told him to really play it up and really be kind of you know just bonkersville and so tonally it's a really weird segment because it's not like 
I like it because it feels like a comic book, you know, like comics are very like that, you know, very over the top and dramatic. And, you know, and so his like country bumpkin kind of thing, it's just really kind of over the top. And uh, I read a quote from George Romero that he had said that he doesn't think Stephen ever forgave him for that, (laughs) for encouraging him to be kind of bonkers, because a lot of people like, you know, came for that performance. Uh, But I always just thought it was fun because, you know, it's just so comic booky. Uh, but my favorite piece, I, I agree with Tide because that it's very intense and very freaky and like fucked up. But I still, when I think of Creep Show, I think of the crate. I just, I really like that kind of. It's like the thing, you know. It's yeah. like this thing, you know, monster in a box, and um, I love Adrian Barbeau. Uh, she's so mean and so like just evil and it's terrible. It's a terrible story overall. You know, it's man constantly fantasizing about murdering his wife instead of just like, you know, breaking it off and, you know, moving on with his life. But the healing, you know, if he went mm-hmm. to a therapist and <laughs> got some more <laughs> self-worth. <laughs> but it's also that, but I, that uh, it. it's that Stephen King thing too, of right. Like there's two different things happening. There's like, I think like, you know, in, in television would be like, here's the A plot, here's the B plot. Like, but in this, it's like, here's the A, A plot one, A one, and here's A two. Like they're both given equal time and Mm. somehow they're connected. You're, you're watching, like for me, I'm watching it just trying to remember or trying to figure out, uh, what, how it's going to connect. Right. Right. So like, you know, he has these very vivid, vivid fantasies about killing his wife. And then all of a sudden there's this thing with a box. And in my mind, I'm just like, what does one have to do with the other? Like, can't, you know, why, why are we talking about these two things? It's, it's almost like, and you know, this could also be, you know, maybe a remnant of cocaine time, but like, <laughs> you know, I I want this story about this and then this story about this, and then you just jam it all together. And then you get that story. Um, so yeah. So like, and, and, and part of me thinks, and you can you can probably speak to this because you've watched the TV show. So, like the TV show, I imagine is like a lot of Tide and a lot of the Crate, like that kind of like a lot of like truly blood curdling, um, blood chilling, sinister like sinister storytelling, and then like stuff that's like kind of monster of the week, bonkers type of stuff. Am I? Yeah. Well. I- yeah, it's an anthology. So each one is, um, I can't remember if they split it. I think it's, um, I think it's two stories, an episode. Okay. Um, and it's all, it's like, you know, um, again, lots of different people working on it, you know, lots of different authors and, um, actually who all directs on it. Um, let's see. Yeah, it's, it's really, and that's kind of like, okay, like that's kind of what I was hoping. That's what I'm hoping to hear because I really want to watch the t- the show. And I think that we don't, you know, we don't get those kind of like, you know, we, we're, we're kind of really searching for something. I'm searching for like a good Twilight Zone, you know, like a Twilight Zone style anthology where every episode is its own self-contained story. And... Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. There. It's also there are like six episodes in the first season. They're split up. So it's like you know one's directed. So episode one is directed by Greg Nicotero uh, and John Harrison, each directing a segment. And then there are different writers: Stephen King, Josh Mallerman, uh, David 
Jay uh, Chow. Uh, mm-hmm. Greg Nicotero works on quite a few of them. David Bruckner works on a couple of them. John Harrison. These are all the different uh, Roxanne Benjamin. Tom Savini, mm-hmm. who's, mm-hmm. you know, all in this. He plays one of the trash men, but he's also did the creature effects. He's like, I mean, anybody who's, you know, a big horror fan, Tom Savini, we owe so much of our, uh, the monsters that we know and love and the visual effects that we know and love, we owe, we owe to him. Um, yeah, so it's, and it is, it's, it's a mix. There are things that are sort of sci-fi things that are sort of horror, you know, Joe, uh, you know, Joe Hill, uh, the the Stephen King's son, Mm -hmm. um, Joe Hillstrom King, who is in Creepshow. He plays the little boy, uh, in the, in this, uh, he did a, uh, a piece called by the silver waters of Lake Champlain, which is about, or Champlain, however you say that it, which is about, you know, champ, the, the monster that supposedly lives in that lake. Uh, you know, so it's, you know, it's, it's all over the place. You know, there are, yeah. uh, much like the films. Cause there are three creep show films. The third one I tried to watch and it, it's not, is good. Uh, I, I like Creep Show too, the sequel to this because I like the raft a lot about this like blob that eats people. You know, again, I like the blob, uh, so <laughs> why not take the blob and put it on some water and see what happens? Um, you know, but it's yeah, it was super fun. They did a Christmas special this past year, a holiday special that was a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoy the, the the Creep Show series. I think it does a good job of being. It's not like Twilight Zone. I think Twilight Zone's a little more serious this is really like just kind of goofy gory horror comedy fun like just a comic book that you might pick up you know something like mad magazine like tales from the crypt just you know bonkers yeah yeah so it's it's a lot of fun i didn't enjoy all the episodes there were definitely some if i especially if i knew what it was based on or you know knew it was being adapted i'm like i don't care for that story so um and sometimes you know adaptations cannot save you know but I, i think overall it was a fun a fun endeavor. I'm not sure of the status of it. I'm not sure if they're still making it or not. Obviously COVID, I, I can't keep up with what's been canceled and what's been delayed mm-hmm. and what's been, because it all keeps changing. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, yeah, so that, the, yeah, probably the crate is my favorite. Um, the bug one always, I don't like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so, so gross and, you know, and weird. <laughs> Uh, I do. I like the, you know, just, you know, I, I like the psychological play of it, you know, sort of being like terrified of something. And then it comes like, yeah. you know, like that's the thing that you're most afraid of is the thing that kills you. Uh, the, uh, iron irony or, you know, whatever dramatic irony of that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. The crates, the crates, a lot of fun. <laughs> so, um, silly. Silly movie. Good time. Yeah, a, you know, a good fun, time. This fun is, watch, I'm sure. This is something that, like, must be shown with, like, a group of people or, you know, sleepover. This is, you know, this is definitely a sleepover movie. Um, actually, I wouldn't even go so far as that because, like, you really, this is something that you put on in the background at a party. Like, I could see you doing this. Um like <laughs> yeah because the intense colors i like the uh, animated mm-hmm. sequences that get uh, put into it i love when like the monster attacks and everything goes red and blue or like in the first the father's day segment i love the you know when the corpse crawls out and everything turns you know intense red and blue it's very um uh, argento but also very comic book yeah you know uh it's just yeah it's it's 
super fun, lots of color. And yeah, I definitely put this on the, on the background at, you know, Halloween or, you know, during some party. <laughs> I enjoy it. But um, so let's just have kind of a little bit of a chat then overall. So we, you know, watched a whole bunch of Stephen King movies, obviously. <laughs> yes, we did. Thanks, and, uh, just, thanks Marissa. Thanks, Jackie. <laughs> right. Uh, and so I'm just kind of curious about like your overall thoughts on like the, you know, the work of Stephen King and the movies that we've chatted about. What, what lessons, what have you gleaned? <laughs> I gleaned that I don't really care. <laughs> I, that's, I, I, I mean, my, what I want to say, if I shoot from the hip, what I want to say is that I don't really care for his films. Um, in the same way that, like, you know, there's... It's interesting because it's like, I know he... One of the reasons why I love horror and how, how I fell in love with horror, and you know this, listeners know this, um, is I fell in love with horror because of its, like, inherent relationship to queerness, right? Mm-hmm. And so in watching these films there is like it's odd because it's like you really kind of have to reach like outside of like maybe Carrie and misery um two of two of the films that i enjoyed the most like there you for me there has to be a lot more to it other than like you know there's this kind of like it's hard for me to identify with a lot of what's going on in the films um in this and yeah because i just kind of figured that like it's I don't know. It's, it's difficult for me to put into words. Uh, but that's kind of what I've landed on is like, there's like the inherent queerness that I love and I treasure in like some of my favorite films. Um, the kind of overt tones of like, you know, the politics of race and things that things that I really have been connecting with. Um, I'm not connecting as much, um, in the films of Stephen King. Um, that's not to say that I like think, yeah. I haven't enjoyed like a lot of the films. Like, you know, there that's not to say I haven't enjoyed that. That's not to say that I'm, you know, I mean, I'm a human being with like, you know, I, that's empathetic by nature. So it's like I I'm definitely able to put it, you know, but I don't I don't think I have the reverence for him, at least from the film side of things. Cause I also I've never read any of his work. I've never read any of right. his books. So I don't have the reverence for him in the same way that I think like the panel who did March Madness does. Um, And I'm okay with that, you know, and I'm okay that people do have that kind of reverence because, you know, he does speak to in the same way that like, you know, people's heroes speak to them and, you know, they ride for them until, you know, forever. I think that he definitely has done that. He, for a lot of folks in our generation. Um, But I feel like, you know, for me, as far as like films go, there's just, there's not, I'm, I was really struggling to connect on the level, like, cause like, it's like get out and Jennifer's body <laughs> and like these films. I'm like, I, I, it's hard for me to connect with it in the same way that I connect with those. But I mean, it's not fair. I've watched right. like, you know, I've watched over like 150 something movies. Like it's, there's, there's, they're not going to all be things that <laughs> going to speak to my soul directly. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think especially now when we, you know, you're getting into horror and 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 this journey of horror as horror has really changed, um, you know, and that the 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 
course correction that's kind of mm-hmm. happened in some ways, you know, for some horror, again, horror is not a monolith like anything mm-hmm. else. There are a lot, there's lots of space still for all kinds of stories. But for the first time, I think in, um, you know, it's history, there are some very explicit stories being told that before were kind of implied, you know, were implicit stories and people that grew up as we, as we talked about on the show, and I'm sure will come up again in the future. And when you look out there to uh, creators now and directors and writers that are like, you know, Oh, I love Stephen King as a kid, you know, but I saw myself missing, you know? And so now I mm. can correct that you know i can take that influence and make it you know even better and tell these stories with more diversity and real you know more real diversity because again it's not that stephen king lacks you know diverse characters there are people of color in his stories there are women there are queer people but the lens in which they're viewed is debatable Mm -hmm. (laughs) um as we have debated extensively uh you know the the you know his specific you know perspective is is not like all of us is not free from the, you know, problems. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and the, and the, and that kind of lens, but it can't be denied that, you know, he's been working for some, you know, I think God, 50 years. Yeah. Almost probably. Uh, maybe, maybe 50, maybe longer. I, I don't know, but you know, he's been writing and, and, and putting out work for, you know, a, a very, very long time. Uh, actually, when did Carrie come out when the, the film was 70 something? Um, but gosh, yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. It's like, I actually think the 50th anniversary of Carrie is like fast approaching, um, the novel. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, 1974. Yeah. So in just a couple of years, uh, in three years, Carrie will be 50, 50 years old. And obviously he was writing stories before that and getting into magazines and whatnot, you know, so he has had much like the discussions of H.B. Lovecraft, though I don't consider Stephen King to be a malicious you know, racist or malicious misogynist or anti-Semite in the way I don't mean to make that connection. Yeah. <laughs> but what I mean is, is that, you know, the, their influence on horror, HB's influence and, and Stephen King's influence and like Anne Rice's influence on horror, uh, you know, and writing kind of novels and putting them out into the world and having, you know, these sort of very important properties uh, that have influenced, you know, generations of people, um, you know, it can't be, it can't be denied, mm-hmm. you know? So for anybody that engages with his work, it, no matter who you are, um, it was hard to avoid because, you know, like growing up for me, it was like, Oh, you like horror. Do you, have you read anything by Stephen King? I mean, everybody wanted to read Stephen King and anybody, if you were into horror, you were going to read him. Um, you know, so obviously growing up, yeah, I always had a giant Stephen King novel tucked under my arm that I was, you know, working my way through. And then he's, you know, you get older and, you know, and, and now we're kind of in a time where we're sort of reckoning with what, what his work means in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I, like, I, I'm not trying to be like, you know, at all fuck Stephen King. Like I still really enjoy their books. I go back to and still reread because I do enjoy them. Um, just like old movies, you know, lots of horrors filled with, you know, I was having a whole conversation yesterday with some friends about like bad feminists by Roxane Gay. (laughs) And, you know, how do you engage with work that, you know, is misogynistic or, you know, is racist, even though you like love it. Uh, And horror obviously is like right at the fucking top of that list. (laughs) Uh, You know, and again, it's not like from a malicious standpoint, I don't think Stephen King is like, you know, Oh, I'm going to write these characters and make them bad or make them good or make them whatever based on, you know, like malicious, uh, biases. Yeah. We all, you know, work from our own particular biases and our own particular uh, perspectives. 
Uh, but I love that people that have come up on his work are now writing horror and it just, it's that natural build, mm-hmm. you know, and that we're seeing these stories kind of be told in new ways that are really, you know, intriguing, you know, and I can't wait to see what another 20, 30 years of people writing um, and working on horror that, that love Stephen King, um, you know, what that's, what that's going to look like. Cause I'm sure there's always new readers being introduced to his work. <laughs> Cause again, it's, it's, um, uh, prevalent. <laughs> it's prevalent. It's, you know, it, I mean, they're modern classics in many regards, yeah. right? So, you know, it's hard not to, especially if you're working in the genre creatively, like you, you yeah. have to know something you have to read him you know in order to be a good writer you also have to be a good reader right so you have to yeah you have to read him yeah and kind of know what when you have like yeah when you have some i think there's like over a hundred adaptations of his work from you know television to radio to stage you know to film obviously you know i mean he's just very prolific and very uh he's just in the cultural consciousness you know even things that you don't necessarily think of like steve like the shawshank redemption you know Mm -hmm. or the green mile those are stephen king works you know um which are movies i actually i don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to see either of those i have actually so yeah uh, so so like you know green mile shawshank um, do I enjoy them more or less than like kind of the quote unquote, like harder horror stuff? No, I enjoy it about the same. And that's the other thing too, is that I enjoy about the same. Um, like Shawshank, I, I Shawshank, I get it. Like I get why it resonates with a lot of people. It was, and also because like, you know, it was critically, it did so poorly at the box office, but found like such life as a cult classic and became this film. That's like, you know, a must see for everybody. Um, and so kind of, that's the lesson I take from Shawshank as opposed to like what actually is going on in the film. Uh, but yeah, I mean like I connect with those films in the same way that I connect with, um, with his other horror work. Okay. Well, that, no, that's, that's very cool. Um, I was just, you know, kind of was curious if you'd seen them because they're not like, you know, traditionally straightforward horror, mm-hmm. you know, there's, um, horror elements, obviously, again, the, the extent existential type of horror. Yeah. Prison. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. right. Prison, um, racism. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's just, um, it's just, yeah. I mean, he's just, he's all over the place, you know, and, you know, so it's just how, how do you avoid not engaging with his work again? If it's, you know, a hundred years from now, maybe it will be different. You know, if there yeah. is a hundred years from now, <laughs> yeah. or I mean, or it could be like, you know, it could be just as um, he'll be just as important, you know, like it'll, it'll be just as important um, if he's uh, in a hundred years. Yeah, again, much like H.P. Lovecraft. I mean, we're really only just now having those conversations about the issues in his work. I mean, other people have been having them for, you know, centuries, I'm sure, or where mm-hmm. it feels like centuries. Not really. He's not that old, but <laughs> it feels like. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, people of that cosmic horror. Uh, but, you know, culturally, we're only just now really reckoning with his uh, influence uh, and, and his uh, beliefs. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious to see in another, you know, 20 years, how we will continue to reevaluate Stephen King. Um, I, I, 
I don't think we can ever again. I, and I don't think we should, I don't think necessarily it's a thing of like, we should diminish his importance. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, there's some amazing stories within his, uh, his novels and short stories and the, and the films that they've been, you know, adapted from into. Um, but again, I am just curious to see how it continues to evolve. Were there any movies that, uh, kind of stick out to you that you enjoyed that we didn't talk about on the show um anything that was just kind of like oh i enjoy you know this was fun but we didn't talk about here uh misery i liked a lot um yeah and it was just it i liked it a lot because it was um it had like the Stephen King flavor you know writer <laughs> writer finds himself in dubious circumstances <laughs> type of thing but it was also just like it was also just really strange to see like James Kahn in that, as that character. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and to also see like, you know, a, um, a, um, Oh my God, a Kathy Bates coming into her, you know, coming into her, uh, full Kathy Bates ness. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. it were. And it was just very like, you know, it, it it that one didn't followed. she win an Academy Award for that? Um, you would have to look that up because I'm not I'm not okay. entirely sure. So I thought you were the Oscars person. No, 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 no. <laughs> I sound I people always think that I like award shows, but honestly, I mean, like there there are no award shows that are like I have to watch. Like I I don't put oh, okay. I, I they're important to a certain extent, but at the same time, like you know. Some of some of like you know I didn't watch the Grammys like who cares? Uh, no, I don't know who any of the people are anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so out of touch. Like, who is who is this? Oh, well, I know Beyonce, but yeah. and I guess Gaga was up <laughs> for something, right? But I don't know who any of the other people are. Uh, yes, she did. Nineteen ninety one Best Actress for Misery. So there you go. You can put that on your trivia. Awesome. Um, we'll put that on the trivia list. But so yeah. so yeah. So you know that was, and it's also like it's following along the lines of like we've talked about a hag horror. So, you know, it follows in that, like, you can definitely see it's yeah. in, like, baby Jane in it. You can see kind of that obsession. I also have this thing for, you know, uh, movies where there's, like, an unhealthy obsession with some things. I feel like I have a lot of those. Um, so, so yeah, that was great. <laughs> unhealthy obsession? An unhealthy unhealthy <laughs> obsession. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you meant movies that you like like that, or you mean personally you have unhealthy obsessions. Oh, right, no, personally so. I do. Personally, I have unhealthy yeah, obsessions. Well, we won't. Uh, well, no. we'll just keep doing it this way. Then we won't have you back in the in the house. <laughs> <laughs> um, we didn't get to talk about Maximum Overdrive, which I thought was like I I thought I was high um, watching all of it. I feel like I should have been. Um, yeah, it's it's you know they're for for as crazy fucked up as it as the whole thing was like it was definitely i was like wow that was a really great i I think stephen king invented people say beyonce invented the visual album i think stephen king did for (laughs) acdc right and that's 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 funny that's a good point yeah yeah because that's basically what it was uh, I know I meant to bring that up. I th- we may have briefly touched on it when we talked about Christine, but I did kind of mean, mean to bring that up a little bit more because it is, it, yeah, that's a, a strange kind of thing. And then obviously with Joe and Nosferatu, it's like, what is up with the car thing, guys, with the living cars? But uh, yeah, Maximum Overdrive is a strange experience. Uh, I will probably never watch that ever again, but um, 
think <laughs> watching it for the ghouls uh, was a good one. Um, yeah, I like that misery. I think that's a good one. The dark. I had never actually seen the dead zone before. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. So that was one I left out of this going, I'm going to watch that again. And I will watch that again soon. Cause I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I'd always avoided it. I never thought I was going to like it for some reason. I never read the book. So I actually want to pick up the book and read it. Uh, so that was kind of for me out of all of this, out of the, out of watching the 32 films with them and, and kind of ruminating on my own relationship with like, you know, the work of Stephen King. Um, and again, I mean, when I think about like the source of my like love for the strong female lead, I mean, that's it's really probably because of like loving Carrie and loving Dolores Claiborne and misery and, you know, these sort of complicated, you know, misunderstood women. women. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because and you yourself a are a complicated, misunderstood woman. Right. Misunderstood woman. Woman. <laughs> woman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, like there's like that's kind of like the queer thing, you know, of kind of having that sort of um, identification with with them, you know, not so much with like Annie Wilkes, but <laughs> but I mean, in the book, like you do kind of feel more sad for her, you know, it's she's not a, I mean, she's monstrous, you know, regardless, yeah. but you know, obviously, you could just go a little bit more into kind of well, yeah, and I and I like how- just the sadness of her, and I, and and like I appreciate that because like I I always there's always that one point where like you understand why the villain is the way they are right and like and i this is gonna sound like a this is gonna sound very stupid so bear come with me on the journey but the one film that i feel like for me stop now (laughs) the one film that (laughs) illustrates like that moment for me where like okay i'm on the villain side is um is in batman and robin with uh victor freeze and his wife and like how he's like basically everything he's doing is because like he refuses to, you know, he wants to keep the promise to his wife to cure her. And so like at the end when, you know, he, when he's like dying or, you know, he's in the sunlight and Batman saves him. And I'm just like, okay, I get it. Like that for me is like that moment. I, where's my Victor Freeze moment? <laughs> <laughs> Which moment in misery is like that? Well, like it's it, you know her. It's her just like her, just like how pathetic like her life is, and oh, okay. how like how the way that she like you know she lives and is getting life is through these novels, and then right, and then right. you know of course you see herself, you see her become the villain as she like you know write it again, burns the novel, like I died, <laughs> which she did, right. Yeah. So yeah, it's just it, you know it, you you see how that kind of um, you see that, and then of course this is all prior to like you know the, the discovery of the scrapbook and how basically she's you know insane. Uh, <laughs> yes, but like that's that's kind of what I I'm I'm there for, and I think like with uh, with misery there was a connection there, and another one, and you know. I, Another one that I thought, like, I saw for the first time that, you know, is something that, like, culturally I know, but, you know, I've never seen was Children of the Corn. Um, Right. I saw that and and that one was, it was not at all what I expected. And it's funny because, like, when growing up, my aunt who would watch us, she would, like, uh, sometimes call us the Children of the Corn. Like, all the kids (laughs) watching that she would be watching. It's like, oh, these Children of the Corn here. Like... (laughs) And now That's I'm like, funny. well, if you, if you, it's like now, well, if you watch the film, like it doesn't end well for the adults. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. That's why I'm, I'm very nervous around groups of children. Um, what's happening? Why are they gathering in a group? <laughs> Alrighty. Well, yeah, this is, it's been really fun talking about this and, uh, you know, kind of doing this deep dive. Stephen King was a major part of my childhood. Obviously I've talked about that. Mm -hmm. Um, there's still some other films that we'll talk about in the future. Uh, I'm sure. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, this was kind of a fun endeavor. And yeah, I just wanted to kind of take a moment to sort of wrap up with some of this fun and goofy, you know, not not too deep. There's not a lot of cultural analysis uh, for Creepshow, uh, you know, uh, lots of bad relationships, lots of horror, you know, a lot of yeah. it's based on that, you know. Um, but, you know, I just thought it would kind of be fun to do that and then just kind of, you know, just have a little wrap up, see, you know, where you're at now with Stephen King. If you think that you're a bigger fan or just kind of the same wherever you <laughs> Where we started, <laughs> I think we're, we had a couple of Stephen King movies in the first season. So, or, or, yes, or because you can't time? you can't ignore, like you said, like you just can't ignore yeah. his influence, and it he will always be. You know, people will always read Shakespeare. You know, so you right. know you will always read Shakespeare's. There will be people who will always read Stephen King. I think where I'm at right now to kind of put like the final say I'll have on this is that I. Um, you know, I'll always be interested in what comes, what work is further produced or, you know, the reimagining of whatever work. I think, um, I think just the way I'm wired now is that like, I get more excited for reboots just because you want to see how you want to see how someone with a budget who is a fan of the previous work either makes it more, you know, closer to the original adaptation or get takes it in a completely different way. And we'll see that as, you know, King gets older, you know, eventually when, you know, eventually, you know, what his pre- continued influence will or won't be. Um, I think, I think like Stephen King, <laughs> it's funny. Stephen King is like the Sondheim of horror, right? Like he's just kind of there right. always influencing and in, in his later years, uh, uh, in his later years, you know, it was just like he did company and he like allowed them to change the gender of like the main character and some of the songs to create this very richer story. And so who knows what Mm kind of comes from that? I mean, are we, I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to have like Christopher and it's a car (laughs) 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 Um, or like Christine and they're lesbians, but um, it'll be interesting to see. But like, I think how I will operate moving forward is that like, it'll always be something that piques my interest because of the kind of, just the history and the canon that like supports his work. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a good place. Uh, I think it's a good place to be. Uh, and yeah, I feel the same. I, um, as somebody who's always, you know, read and I've read so many of his books. I mean, I've got two whole freaking shelves full of his stuff. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it is interesting to see his, what his legacy will, uh, will be mm-hmm. and will continue to, to be as he, you know, goes on. So, all right, yay. Well, this was, uh, you know, a really fun endeavor, Joe. So next, um, yeah, April is coming. It's going to yeah. be fun. We've got a cool slate of films. My birthday month. Yes. Right. She's, uh, what is that? Are you an Aries? I don't have any idea. No, I'm a Taurus. I'm on the cut. I'm okay. on the cusp, but I'm on the Taurus side of the cusp, so... Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I like a warm so blanket. <laughs> like I like warm it's blanket and soft cheeses. <laughs> All right. Well, that's exciting. So we'll definitely uh, celebrate your birthday as we go along with something horrible. And uh, <laughs> 
but I am. I'm very excited about our April lineup, and uh, yeah, it's going to be super fun. So, dear listener, as always, we we thank you for giving us your attention and your your um your earballs, and uh, we appreciate those of you who've bought merch. We we love that. Uh, help support the show, uh, which you can find at Tee Public. Uh, you there's a link down in the bottom, nice and uh, convenient. Or if you follow us on any of our social media, our link tree. And yes. um, additionally, there was an issue with our tip jar, but now the tip jar is fixed. <laughs> oh yes, we thank you so much. I, we should send shout outs to the people who told us that we want to give you money and we can't. So we appreciate that. Thank you uh, for alerting us to to that uh, situation. And so glad we got that corrected. You can happily send us your tips again. Helps uh, keep the keeps the show going, and uh, hopefully will take us to some cons. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure about this year. 2022. <laughs> we are saving to come out and see you all wherever you are, and uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is, we're going to do at cons in the future. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we hope very soon. So uh, thank you again. Uh, please share us with your friends as always, Joe. Much love to you, Joshua. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.